This is the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 Podcast. Hello, my name is Tamara Shoemaker, and I'm the Director of the Center for Cybersecurity and Intelligence Studies at the University of Detroit Mercy, and I'm excited to get caught up with our wonderful alum, Sean Kayabanov. First, I need to tell you a little bit about Sean. He's currently the CISO for the National Park Service. He's living in Manassas, Virginia with his brilliant wife, Katie, and their amazing daughter, Charlotte, and I can't forget Eggs, their dog, who's amazingly cute as well. I wanted to let you know how proud we are of you. You're such a self-made man, and you've taken what you had, and you've made such an amazing career out of this. Because before being the CISO for our national parks, you were also the Cyber Branch Chief, United States Nuclear Command and Control. Holy smokes. And then you were the U.S. European Command, J6, and I'll let you explain what that means. And then finally, you were at the U.S. TACOM, and you were there with a couple of different positions at TACOM. And that's where we met, was when you were at TACOM, and you were just finishing up school, and Dan became your mentor, and we got to know you. And it's been an amazing ride to watch your trajectory just go far beyond anything we could have imagined. So now you find yourself as a Chief Information Security Officer with the National Parks. What would you say people normally would think of what that job entails, that it's highly technical and very heavy computer usage, Sean? Can you tell us a little bit about what your job really looks like? Yeah, sure. It's definitely not all technical all the time. In fact, a lot of it is kind of like stuff that I've done in my other positions. It's about being a leader, and now it's a lot more about managing people and teams in this job. It was the first one that I had where I was – actually designated as a supervisor and manager of teams, and that took a little getting used to. It's been about four years now, so I'm feeling a little more used to it, but there's still new things that come along with that every day. Yeah, really just building relationships every day, talking to new people. You know, there's 22,000 employees out there for us to potentially speak with, but there's a core group of people that we need to always be engaged with, you know, purchasing, acquisition, you know, all that sort of stuff that really has more to do with being on the phone or being on a instant messenger app. Than, uh, well, it's more business type things, right? So the whole operation of the forestry and all the things that it touches, right, rather than just firewalls. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it doesn't really matter whether or not I know how to set something up or code something. You know, that's why I used to hear it about lead teams. They have people to do that for them. And I always thought, well, then, you know, what are you doing? That sounds kind of... <laughs> Right, right. But the cool thing about you is that you started out down there and you were doing it. Yeah. So it's not like you're, like Dan talks about all the time in the comics, the pointed heady boss who doesn't have a hot red clue about any of that stuff. So you actually started down there. I mean, when you were in Takeom, you were down in the machine there taking care of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that is a nice thing. But I liked it just as a personal hobby. I found all that stuff interesting. So I do have some of that background, but I could see more now why if you were a good leader, you could potentially do this job and do it pretty well. But it is good at times when you get security incidents to come in to be able to understand what the technical people are talking about. And that can lead to surprising questions if they're expecting you not to know about that stuff. So it's good for me. Right. So you know what can happen and what can't happen and those kinds of things. And so nobody can kind of pull it over your eyes that say, you know, well, we just can't do that. You know, that can't happen. And you're like, no, that really needs to be secure. And this is why. Yeah. And you can keep asking the question of why. And a lot of times you find out that they just haven't tried hard enough yet. Right. It's scary. We don't know how to do that. That's why. (laughs) 
and you're like, but the bad guys are still going to try to get in, so we really need to keep focusing on this. Yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff that you have to just prioritize and make a note that there's something out there that we have to look at in the future, but right now we have to focus on patching Windows systems or, you know, something that's a little more basic. So you started out working in the military when you were doing all that good stuff and when you were a student with us and then you went through a couple of military jobs and now you're with the interior. So how is that different between the DOD or working for someone like the Forestry Service? Completely different kind of thing. Yeah, with DOD, the stuff that I did, you covered it a little bit there, but when I worked at TACOM in Warren, Michigan, of course, I worked in the G6, which covers, uh, for people that don't know, it's their corporate information office that's really the people that manage all the computers and everything. And then later on, I worked in their G2, which was intelligence and security, and they worked pretty much hand-in-hand with the two offices. But I've had a lot of unique jobs. Overall, this job that I have now is kind of the most, uh, like, normal job. Because, like, when I was at TACOM, one of the things that I did was helping secure a supercomputer that prior to that, I'd only read about or seen pictures of, you know, in magazines and online. But for, I think it was two years, I was sitting in this pretty cold room with uh, fans running constantly and two giant supercomputers in the other room plugging away 24-7. And then when I went to Germany to work at the U.S. European Command, that was for a cyber engagement officer job, which really focused on just building relationships and helping other countries build up their cyber capacity to be able to work better with us. And, you know, if anything happened in the future, we'd have relationships established and friendships with the two countries' militaries. And I did that for, I think, three and a half years throughout the Baltics, the Nordics, and Central Europe. That's pretty exciting, wasn't it, though? I mean, you got to do cyber exercises and meet a lot of, like you said, all kinds of different countries and travel and, you know. Yeah, people I met that I still keep in touch with. Yeah, that job, even when I was in it, I knew I'd probably never get another job like that. I knew it was uh, a special thing, especially with the, the people in our office, even. We all got along really well, and we still talk. And now it's been uh, six or seven years later, and we're still sending messages back and forth. And then from that job, with you know, still going with the military, I, I took a job right outside of D.C. with the U.S. Nuclear Command and Control System Support Staff. I don't think I've ever said that without smiling because it's such a long name. But that was another odd job because it dealt with cyber stuff and you know, securing things, but it was focused on the command and control system that controls our nuclear arsenal from the point of the president hitting a button all the way to things going off. But my portion mainly dealt with the issue of commands back and forth and things like satellites and stuff that's not on the regular Internet that I never really thought about prior to that job, but it was really interesting learning all about that and learning about this other world that not too many people are aware of or may even care about, but learning the importance of it was interesting. And so out of all that, then for a while, I was just applying for jobs I'd see and not really knowing if I'd hear about them. But randomly, one day I heard from the National Park Service that one of the jobs that I applied for, they wanted to interview me. And so I went there and did that and got through everything and was thankfully offered the job and took a promotion. And the only thing different was it was in Department of Interior and not with 
Department of Defense, and so I really didn't know what to expect since I started there, and I'd never worked outside of there. And uh, basically what I said at the beginning, that this is a, about being a leader, and now it's a lot more about managing people and teams in this job. It was the first one that I had where I was actually designated as a supervisor and manager of teams, and that took a little getting used to. It's been about four years now, so I'm feeling a little more used to it, but there's still new things that come along with that every day. Yeah, really just building relationships every day, talking to new people. You know, there's 22,000 employees out there for us to potentially speak with, but there's a core group of people that we need to always be engaged with, you know, purchasing, acquisition, you know, all that sort of stuff that really has more to do with being on the phone or being on a instant messenger app than uh well, it's more business type things, right? So the whole operation of the forestry and all the things that it touches, right? Rather than just firewalls. This is life and death kind of situations, right? This isn't just, hey, our company's gonna look bad in the press. This is really yeah. important work. And so you've been doing that for years and now with the forestry service and it just has a different connotation to it, even just for me, because they rocketed you up because of your past, because of your experiences, they put you as the CISO. I mean, you got the job as CISO. So now you're not knee deep in all that kind of lovely stuff, the technician to technical stuff and all that stuff. Now you're working people to make sure they are taking care of all of the things they need to take care of. And again, that's one of the things I think people don't understand, and we talk about it on this show a lot, about how cyber isn't just about the ones and zeros. It's not just about a firewall. There are so many other pieces and parts, and humans are the most important part. Because, I mean, I think even in your military history, you knew the thing that was nice about military was people had to follow rules, had to follow orders, right? When you yeah. get in civilian space, they start going, well, I think I might know better. And maybe he is the point ahead of boss and he doesn't really know what's going on or whatever. And so we fight culture a lot, right, in regular business. And I think that now you're in that space, it's quite a big difference than the whole, we just follow rules because someone told us to and we're going to because we're military. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because that's the thing that I missed initially and I still do. I miss the most. You know, for the park service, there was no military structure and I took it for granted that that's just how things were. And you know, people above you, you called, you know, Mr. and Mrs. and stood at attention when they entered the room. And then I come over to here and it's just completely different. More laid back, probably. Yeah. And I didn't take that as a negative in the military. I kind of liked that because you knew, you knew what to do and where things were coming from. But yeah, just completely different. The structures and having people that you rely on that are out there that aren't necessarily under your supervision or control. And you really have to work with them to kind of get them on your side and get them to do what you want to do. And now in this job, I'm closer to the upper leadership of the National Park Service. So I get to see and get a better idea of what me and my team and the rest of the CIO does and how that affects the Park Service and affects them. And if we're slow on something or if we have some security incident where we have to roll out some patch or something, how that can affect the rest of the park service when we're not necessarily always thinking of this. It's been different, but still interesting and still learning a lot. And it is still part of the federal government service, correct? Yeah. And so so you guys have budget concerns and regulation concerns, just like any other federal government would have, correct? Yeah. There's DOD over here and then Department of Interior, and then we're just a bureau within the Department of Interior. But we are the largest, with I think 22 or 23,000 just government employees. And 
many contractors. And then we also have, I think the last time I saw it was three or 400,000 volunteers. So people that just love the park service and want to do stuff at parks throughout the U.S. And we have a lot of the stuff I didn't know before I started, but there's you know, over 400 different sites throughout the U.S. So it's not just Yosemite and the Grand Canyon, huh? No. no. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you already quoted how many tons of employees you have. So you have all of their info that you have to keep private and under control. And then you have all of these parks and sites where people are exchanging money and doing all kinds of stuff there, too. So it's a pretty big real estate in the United States, correct? I mean, our national park? Yeah. That's another good point. With my position now, it's the cybersecurity and privacy office. So they've kind of broken out the two since they're two complicated things to do. And the privacy one has just been, from my point of view, it's kind of growing like the cyber security one did 15 or 20 years ago. seems like every day there's something new coming on with privacy and they both have to work together. But we have a lot of different information out there that we want to protect from either leaving NPS or if the public's giving it to us, protecting it so that we can be seen as good stewards of their information and not just letting it you know, go anywhere. Right. And that's one of those things that people don't think about, right? You know, they give away their information all the time, right? But they want a card over at one of the drugstores in order to get discounts. They're giving that information away for free. But, you know, heaven forbid, should a company uh, have an exploit and that same information is given out. Then there's heck yeah. to pay, right? And everybody wants somebody's head. And we don't want it to be Sean's. <laughs> <laughs> So is it quite a bit different than what you expected then? Obviously, when you came on board, four years have already gone by. I can't hardly believe how fast time is moving. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you thought it was going to be a lot more technical, and it ended up being a lot more about relationships and managing people. Yeah, because I wasn't really sure what to expect from the managing of people, and being a supervisor and all that. And honestly, that was the part of the job I was most nervous about because, you know, sometimes you work with good people, sometimes you work with, more difficult people and I really lucked out with the people that were on my team and they were supportive from day one and have made it easy but there's still a lot of work that needs to go on with that and just keeping up with everybody and well people are like that right people change and situations change and tempers flare and 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 one of the things that's really important about your kind of a job all of our folks that are in cybersecurity is that you keep level head, right? And that you keep an even temper. It's one of those things we don't think about when we think about, you know, in the schools they talk about, oh, you need high math and you need coding and you need all this other kind of stuff that they say. But what they don't say is you need people skills and you need leadership and you need a cool head. I think that that's number one, cool head, right? In an emergency, there may be people running around screaming, but Sean would be the quiet one there figuring out, okay, what do we need to do? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I can remember my boss from uh, when I worked at Takeham, we were going through something and he was getting real nervous and just kind of stressed out. And he said, you know, I, I'm not sure if I should be worried about you or, uh, you know, you don't seem nervous or worked up at all about this. And now we'll, we'll get through it. And, you know, I might be nervous in my head or, things spinning around up there, but I'm not showing it to everybody and running around. And Right, right. More times than not, and I know with you, you're thinking about the things that you need to get done rather than the what-ifs. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like there's a dam is breaking and there's a bunch of holes, and I'm going to either just run around and scream or I'm going to start putting my fingers in the hole and getting everybody else to do that too so this thing doesn't collapse on me. But, again, you keep it nice and controlled 
rather than, ah, right, and screaming at people to, you know, do stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, if my boss did that to me, I'd be a little worried. If right, because that only makes things worse. Absolutely. And the thing is, is I liken you guys to that quality, I think, that people need in this kind of a job is an awful lot like with firemen and police and whatever. Rather than panic, firemen are rushing into buildings that people are running out of screaming of. Right. But in order for them to do their job, they have to be able to kind of compartmentalize all of that stuff and get the job done in order to save the people. And that's what you guys do, too. Say, okay, one step at a time. How do we fix this? Well, yeah, yeah. What do we need to do first? And then just keep moving on from there. And eventually it'll get a little bit better. Well, we've always admired those abilities in our students to be able to do those kinds of things. And your trajectory has just been amazing. And we're real proud of you and Katie and the life that you guys have built. It's been fun to be the uh, quasi-grandparents on the sidelines here rooting for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's, it's been uh, like 17 years now since yeah. I met you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Time flies yeah. when you're having fun. It was weird because I actually met Dan after I graduated. and he uh, Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just had some dinner that it, I almost didn't even go to it cause, just because it was, I think, in fact, I didn't even have a car at the time, and my mom had to pick me up from this job that I had, and we drove way across town, and he seemed nice, and I'll keep in contact with him. Here yeah, we and that was really cool, because, I mean, he just loves to mentor folks, right? And so that's the important part. And so you were at Take Home already, but you were retooling, and you were getting some degree behind you so that you could do better at what you were doing and that kind of stuff. No, actually, oh, I met him before Take Home. Oh, did you? Yeah. I thought yeah. it was right as you were there. Okay. Yeah, so it was even way before. Now, I was at a job that I had right out of college that really didn't have anything to do I with it. I do remember. That's right. That's right. I wasn't that pleased with it, but I think well, a lot of people... Well, you know, we paid the bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do what you got to do. No, and I remember he was impressed with you right away, as he has many of the folks that he takes under his wing and become a mentor to. And so it was exciting to watch all of that. And then you graduated, you did your stint at TACOM, and then you went off to the EUCOM. And then you got the graduate degree through National Defense University and through us. But again, that was one of those things where you were taking advantage of being a federal employee and some of the benefits that you had. Because I know you were also getting certifications and stuff while you were at TACOM and all that kind of good stuff, too. So you definitely used the system to help you get where you are today. Yeah, that was one of the requirements to get that job at UConn was you had to have a CISSP certification. So I got that around that time. And then when I was still at TACOM, I started at National Defense University taking classes. And, you know, those were free for DOD, military, and government employees. So I started there and continued to take them while I was at UConn. And I took a little bit of a break. And then I was talking to Dan one day, and he was – suggesting, you know, you only have a couple more classes to go, you should really wrap it up. And luckily I did because then those free classes that I took transferred over to Detroit Mercy and I was able to graduate with a full degree. And I was going to mention that earlier with the Park Service, that's one of the things that stood out in the interview that I had was that uh, my boss said that he really liked the level of education I had and all the certifications and degrees and everything. So it definitely did pay off for me because you kind of hear people talking about college and it may or may not be worth the cost or the time. But luckily for me, it definitely was. And I made lifelong friends and whatever the cost was, it was uh, definitely worth it and paid off for me. Good. And I think the other part about the U piece and the piece at the master's degree at ours is that we are creating leaders, right? We aren't creating help desk folks. 
they do a real great job at the community college level doing the really highly technical stuff for the folks that really want to stay down in the machine. But what we're trying to do is after you've got all that knowledge and some of that experience, we then kind of help you to see all of the leadership ability things that you're going to need. And you may not have used them right away, but they paid off at the end. Yeah, that's how I was where a lot of the stuff I found it interesting, you know, learning about leadership and managing and all that stuff, but I wasn't able to use it right away and I didn't really see how soon it was going to come in. But now I'm starting to see how it's transferable. And, you know, if you can lead this team, then you can probably do a halfway decent job leading some other team. Absolutely. If you needed to, which is a nice feeling. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you've shown that you're a life learner as well. That's, I think, another thing that's really important in this piece because nothing's standing still, right? Yeah. So you have to kind of always be adding your knowledge and doing more just to sort of make sure that your brain is all engaged and everything is all working and you're staying up with stuff, right? You don't want those young punks to be able to uncover you or whatever when you're yeah. <laughs> you're in those meetings. Well, yeah, definitely. You don't want that. And my type of position, you have to stay up to date on what's going on and new technologies and you don't have to be an expert, but just have a basic understanding of what's going on with them. So there's an awful lot of things that go into working with the National Park Service. As I know that our last board of advisors meeting, some of the guys looked up your website and they were like, I can't believe that's a government website. This thing is rocking. There's an awful lot oh, of yeah. stuff that goes well, yeah. into, you know, we just think of things as just uh, we're going to go backpacking and have a vacation and things just happen automatically behind the scenes. And there's nothing to do with security and there's nothing going on there. But I forget how many, you said a lot of websites, you have a lot of parks, so you have a lot of stuff that's interactive on all that stuff. Yeah, a lot of them, they'll use the, I don't know if it's common, it wasn't common to me when I started, but they do this interpretation and telling of stories of the park and the reasons why the park is even there. And, you know, sometimes they'll use things like for the bigger ones, you know, big multimedia displays different IT type of devices that are exposed to the public and showing them all types of interesting stuff. But I think what people forget is like in this job, it's not just, not just our internal NPS network that we're worried about. And we're also working on everything on the outside too, because it'd be embarrassing if something happened to that stuff. Well, you have a, you probably don't have it off the top of your head, but I have to say that you must have a ton of visitors to these parks. And so all those folks are interacting with all of that stuff. I mean, I know what my grandson's busy little hands can do to a system. And I do know you have some interactive stuff. We've been out to the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone, and we've been to O'Connor and a lot of the other things that have stuff that's going on. They have museums, and they have other stuff that they've got that are, like you say, multimedia kind of stuff. And you don't want that stuff to suddenly be showing an inappropriate movie or something. Like, I don't know if you heard that down in Virginia or not, but here in Detroit we had a couple of those digital billboards. That you oh, yeah. on the highway and they were suddenly yeah, showing, showing explicit <laughs> movies on those. Whoopsie. And the reason was because the actual computer was in a little tiny shed right on the premises, right next to the billboard. So someone just yeah, had to be yeah, in there. <laughs> and so, wow, that may get a whole new meaning to your commute home. So, I mean, but you are dealing with families and kids and all yeah, that kind of same, stuff. That's the same thing. That's why we're concerned about that stuff and we'll have tablets and different types of iPads and different devices where people can actually physically touch them. And then the things that people really don't necessarily think about, you know, some of the parts where you have to pay to get in, we'll use these different point of sale systems. And that's another huge thing that we have to protect that data and also make sure it's 
available 100% of the time, so we don't get two-mile-long car backups. Yeah. Um, in some areas, we offer uh, public Wi-Fi, so we have to, you know, make sure that that is secure and people can get what they want but not uh, have their devices harmed in some way. And then even just throughout the parks, there's stuff that my team will review constantly where, you know, people are scientists or, you know, have sensors that might check the temperature of water daily or the, the migration of birds or fish, you know, stuff that I never thought about before. But, you know, all these Internet-connected type of devices. Well, like you said, conserving and preserving is part of it as well, not just giving us a place to go have a picnic. Yeah, kind of leaving it. I forget what the motto is, but, you know, basically you have to leave it how you came in. You can't right. can't leave stuff or can't take stuff. And, yeah, they're always doing stuff. And, and then, of course, just the public websites themselves. I, I do remember that from that last meeting that somebody said that because I, I know the person that runs their nps.gov website. And we also have another one that was volunteer.gov, which is a really big website and, I'd say that's another big difference between DOD and what I do now is, you know, pretty much all of our information is public and publicly available already. So we're out there. We have multiple websites, and that's a big priority for us because if we had something like that freeway incident happen to us, that'd be uh, very embarrassing. Absolutely, it would. It would be very embarrassing. That would be bad. Well, I'm really, really happy that you were able to spend this time with me. And um, I have someone who's just joined me to say hello. Hi, Dan. Uh, how are you doing, buddy? Dr. Shoemaker is joining me. Good, how are you? He yeah, Dr. Were, Shoemaker, that's he me. He knew you were going to be online, and he wanted to say hello. So I truly appreciate your time today. And um, uh, don't leave us right away so you and Dan can visit for a second. But I just wanted to thank you for your time. As an alum, you have enriched our lives, and obviously you're still out there protecting our infrastructure. We can keep our parks safe, and it can go ahead and recreate without having to worry about things because Sean's in charge. Yeah, thanks for having me. And hopefully next time we're home, we can either see you guys or stop by Absolutely. the college. And- Absolutely. That'd be lovely to see you and your family. Thanks so much, Sean. You've been listening to the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast. If you would like more information on today's discussion, please contact Center Director Tamara Shoemaker by emailing shoematl at udmercy.edu. And please plan to join us again for the next edition of the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast.